This is the Business of Cannabis, a joint venture between the Green Generation Co. and the Cannabis 101 podcast. Bringing you the latest bud, biz, buzz. Malka LaBelle from the Green Generation Co. joins me as usual on the Business of Cannabis. You can find out more information at www.greengencompany.com. Malka, welcome. Great to see you. Great to hear you. How has your Thanksgiving weekend been? Thanks, Dean. You know, it's kind of been a weird one. Uh, kind of feels like just another weekend. I don't know. I don't know about you, but uh, we sort of just kind of skipped over it. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're pretty low key around here. We did uh, we did steak and uh, potatoes for our Thanksgiving dinner, but still thankful for being able to talk uh, about cannabis legally in our country as we get set to celebrate another anniversary and uh, to kind of to kind of get us into that vein let's talk a little bit about what happened this week down in the states and uh, Kamala Harris mentioning the word decriminalizing cannabis it's been something she's been on for a little while what were your thoughts and the impact it could have on Canada yeah so you know this was the first time i really clued into thinking about it from the context of the industry in canada so her uh stance even when she was running for president was on decriminalizing cannabis and she's actually part of the safe or the more um bank not the more the 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 program to basically allow people to come out of of prisons and decriminalize uh cannabis so she's been on that track for a while the fact that this was all of a sudden or sort of come to my top of mind was really to think about what's the difference between decriminalization and legalization from an industry industry perspective in canada and this is a question that comes up actually all the time more in conversation with uh, like my clients and people that i'm talking to like cross-border um, it's not really known what's gonna, what it's going to be. Doesn't matter who chooses to do what with it. Whether doesn't matter what the election does. But I wanted to clarify what I believe is the differences between the two and how decriminalization really um, is different from legalization and how that can impact Canada uh, from an industry perspective. So decriminalization is to legalization is like a spectrum. Like if you want to think of it like, you know, fully illegal is like far one side and full legalization is far the other side. And decriminalization is kind of like in the middle somewhere um, where I believe, you know, decriminalization is defined as really loosening uh, the criminal penalties imposed for people that use cannabis or possess cannabis uh, or marijuana in the States. And um, so it's kind of like, okay, we're just not going to make it illegal anymore, but it doesn't really create some, any really like industry construction, like uh, imposing um, tax regimes or, um, you know, creating new laws around it. So what that means is in Canada, we went the far route of legalization, which is that essentially we created a new industry. So um, the government can regulate it, they can impose taxes on it, um, they can, you know, create laws to protect citizens around it. There's like a legal framework and structure for for changing the laws. So that's the full gamut of legalization, and that's what we're doing in Canada. And you know, it's a slow, it's a slow and long road, a slow burn, <laughs> literally, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of people. Um, but what this does, in a, in a essence, is if you know, cannabis has become legal in various states in the U.S., but not all of them. 
And, and effectively what decriminalization would do federally um, with bringing, and also with bringing in like the safe banking laws, which I think is really the big part of it, is this, um, is this going to allow for a big influx of cash into in, an investment into the cannabis industry, um, both for Canadian companies, for U.S. companies, and any company really? It's good. There's going to be like a kind of like a halo effect, and and my belief is that you know U.S. companies that are already operating legally in the states in which they uh, are, and MSOs in particular, which are multi-state operators, you're going to get to hear that a lot more if you haven't already. MSOs are companies that have taken on cannabis in legal states and are operating in a very complex uh, state-by-state um, situation, very similar to how we operate in Canada mm-hmm. across different uh, sort of uh, public, uh, provincial jurisdictions. But with the allowing of the laws for banking and safe um, investment, um, it, it basically de-risks people's money. And so therefore we, and we, we've already seen that cannabis has had a pretty big increase in popularity with COVID because people like to buy it and use it. And those numbers are already being evident early on. Um, so we're gonna see a lot more money into the industry is my prediction. And we've already seen it happening on the stock market. Like as of you know last week, right after this, uh, you know, the de- uh, vice presidential debate, the, the stocks, the, the U.S. and Canadian uh, stock stocks for publicly traded companies that are operating in multi jurisdictions on the New York Stock Exchange on the or on that sorry the Nasdaq took a boost. So I saw that in my portfolio, and then a lot of people, like I think, twenty percent gains in some of them already were seen. Um, for companies like even Canadian companies that are just listed on the um, U.S. exchanges or like the Nasdaq, so that's a really really good thing. That's really been the big hampering so far within the industry. So even with the uh, decriminalization um, or any form of that to legalization, I think we're going to really uh, be positively benefited from that. Well, for sure, and you know the 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 cannabis factor uh certainly isn't uh, as big a part of the US election as it was in Canada leading up and and why we got legalization but it was brought up it is something uh that uh, Kamala Harris has uh, you know been pushing and you know Bernie Sanders was was big on legalization and i think uh, Kamala Harris helped uh, Joe Biden get to that point a little bit uh and while i don't think it's going to be as big of a point in the U.S. election as it was in Canada, I still think it's gonna. There's gonna be a factor, and decriminalization is at least that first step. At least we can get some people out of prison for the ridiculous things yeah. that are going on. I mean, there were more uh, arrests for possession of I marijuana in the United that. States than That's all violent crimes last year. That is bloody ridiculous. Yeah, and and one other point actually, you know, you see, not necessarily being a, a federal election topic, but what it is going to be is is a state election topic. Yes. And I actually, I just wrote a blog post about this that's about to be published, and it's about what we're seeing is this is that these Republican uh, pol- politicians have sort of left the Republican Party and are running as independent parties under the cannabis uh, legalization or the marijuana legalization state by state. So it's kind of been this this situation where at a state Senate level, where the states want legalization. So forget about federally, it doesn't really matter. They want to legalize it within their state. And it's kind of been taken over. A lot of these independent parties are running and they're 
former Republicans. So you have to check out my my blog post about that because I go into the details of why I think that is. It's very, I think it's very fascinating. Uh, there's a bit of, some people have some conspiracy theories behind it, but mm-hmm. I have a different perspective. But uh, yeah, you'll have to check that out on my, on my website uh, in the next day or so. All right, that's at www.greengencompany.com. Uh, let's talk change makers. And um, the, uh, the people we're focusing on today, Route 1, and uh, for those watching, uh, the website is up on the screen, www.route1agency.com. So uh, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, Route 1. So Route 1, I basically is sort of one of those cool full circle stories that uh, I have to say was it's very it was very interesting to discover these guys again. So basically, um, their business is based on um, a similar model to the alcohol industry, like rep model. So very similar, uh, like, you know, a lot of the tenants around the uh you know, distribution of cannabis are basically modeled exactly after the um, alcohol distribution model, bound to the same systems that they're using. Um, so these guys actually attended my cannabis 101 workshop that I actually did exactly a year ago. And they came to the workshop like over a couple different sessions. They came independently and I didn't know they were related to each other until afterwards. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they were just interested. So they were, they're can- they were, they're liquor reps. They were part of the liquor uh, industry and had been for a long time. And after the presentation, after my workshop, I followed up with them like, hey, like, thanks for coming. You know, how did you hear about us or whatever? And they're like, you know, we just found you on the Eventbrite. But what was really cool was that, you know, we're thinking of getting into this industry with our knowledge of the legal uh, alcohol route, particularly in Alberta. Uh, what do you think? And so we had a kind of a couple of discussions around it and I gave them some some ideas. And, and essentially they chose to work on that marketing section, which is huge, which is essentially replacing what is sort of there but doesn't really exist, which is essentially a in-store sales rep that's there to represent brands. And so some brands have this. The bigger brands, um, like I would say, I mean, I, I met the Riff girl, so she's like part of the, I think it's the Afria brands. Mm-hmm. So some of the bigger players have their own like sales team and they'll go in and wrap all the different brands that are made by that particular producer. Um, But then there's all these new sort of young or independent or micros coming up that don't have that kind of representation. And they're essentially just on the sell sheet from the the, the provincial uh, retailer. So their plan is to go and talk about these new brands and products uh, into all the stores focused on Alberta. Like their route one concept is we're, you know, we're building the cannabis highway. Do you want to lift? I, which I think is awesome. So yeah, I'm, uh, I think that they've got a, a good thing and they're just getting started and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. I think that's uh, it, it's really cool. I mean, wh- when you talk about the cannabis industry, how many sales reps have you met that were from the alcohol industry? It's, it's flooded with them. Right. So um, there, and you know, it, it is different. Uh, I, I, I obviously yeah. think there is, but there are some general things that you can bring to it and then improve on it with the, the you know, the, the related cannabis industry. So there's a lot of people from that industry, pharmaceutical as well. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely great. And they're, they're bringing their connections, their understanding of how the industry works, mm-hmm. um, their contacts, their network. Um, and that's great. I'm like, that's what people need to do. Like, I think, you know, a lot of people call me and ask me like, oh, like, how do I get into the industry? I'm like, well, tell me what you do. Like, where's your experience? Because what we're understanding is that pretty much anything can apply, you know, like even on our next topic, you know, it's so far fetched, but actually um, there's been quite a few examples where people from other industries where you think that has nothing to do with cannabis 
It doesn't necessarily matter. You can learn about the cannabis plant, but what you know from an existing, from your existing background, that's what this, these are doing, uh, that these guys are doing with Route 1. That's they're, that's why they're a change maker to me is that they're taking what they know and kind of pivoting, so slight change, but applying it to the new uh, industry that we're, we're in right now. Well, Malka, you, you don't have to look any farther than what you're looking at right now to find somebody who was not anywhere near the cannabis industry before I got into this podcast. I did sports media for over 22 years. Uh, and yeah. certainly athletes weren't talking about cannabis. So, uh, you, you bring you exactly, you bring what you have to this industry and then you learn. I'm, I have no problem saying I didn't know what a terpene was and still I, until I got into this show. My cannabis experience used to be, here's $50, give me a bag or, or going into a retail yeah. store and asking for THC. And now because you, you can learn so much about this, it, it's all about, that's exactly it. It's your past experience and your passion to learn and, and research yeah. and learn new things is, is what's gonna be able to have, have people be successful in this industry, in my opinion anyway. Fully. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that it doesn't mean it's a big career change. Like so a lot of people sometimes get scared when they think like, Oh my gosh, I have to totally change everything I know and everything I do and like start from scratch to get into a new industry. And that's just not true. Like there are so many applications where your knowledge from before is an asset to the new industry. So, you know, don't forget everything, you know, in order to, to jump on board. Exactly. That's a really, really good point. All right. For those watching, um, that is an interesting picture and that's where we're going with what it means to be green and we're greening the planet by oil and gas refugees and apologize for those just listening, but you can watch the show on our YouTube and our uh, WeTube channel, as well as our social media feeds as well. So uh, explain, um, what we're talking about, because as you mentioned, there's a lot of people from different industries and, and oil and gas, it, it actually might be one of the biggest, isn't it? Yeah, so at least in Alberta. I mean, yeah. so here's the 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 massive uh, situation of a bunch of stuff happening at the same time. What's that called? Like a quagmire? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're sitting in the in the middle of a massive uh, crash of energy and oil demand. You know, like an honest to god organic not need for oil or, or gas because we're not going anywhere because of COVID. Um, you know, and and before that, the oil industry had been on a decline for a long time. Um, but the people that are in the that are in the oil and gas industry, the the existent the topic that I'm covering here is that they're really resilient people. And um, why? Well, because they have suffered through some highs and some lows. We call them oil and gas cowboys in some cases, which is my reference here with the cowboy on the pump jack. Um, the, these people know how to ride the bull. You know, they've been through some really, really tough times before. And how the, the term oil and gas refugees, where that came up was, I literally got reconnected with a former client of mine. I used to be in the oil and gas uh, uh, software and services side of business. And my clients, we called them oil and gas entrepreneurs or, or emerging oil and gas uh, um, companies. And that's because they literally had all of their skin in the game. They were young and small and they all had a five-year exit plan. They're like, we're going to drill all these wells and find all this oil and we're going to be these cowboys. We, we put our entire house all of our children's, you know, uh, college funds and everything we own on the line to do this. Um, and the regulations in Alberta were extremely strict, but not well understood. And that was what I was selling with software to help that. So I would go into my client's office, you know, who had these great glowing, you know, hope for the future and what their business was going to do. 
they were really working hard to be within the regulations, which were really about protecting the land and the water and the planet and all those things. So they were already had the mentality, we're doing oil and gas, but we're going to do it as green as possible. So that was yeah. already in their sort of purview. And then the oil and gas refugee. So I come back, you know, four years later, and I'm walking into an office again. And it's like, oh, my God, these are the same clients that I had in oil and gas, but they're not in the oil and gas business anymore. Now they're in the cannabis business. And that's literally the president of the company says to me, we're oil and gas refugees. I'm like, I am a, I am a member of the tribe. Like, we're all in this together. So that's where the term came from. He literally said it. And I love that phrase. And I use it a lot. Um, and really, it came down to, you know, these are really entrepreneurial people. Um, they have, well, a lot of them have high credentials. They're engineers. They're accountants. They have a ton of cred figuring out how to make metrics work when their conditions around them are next to impossible to predict. And like things like we used to call the, the trifecta, uh, uh, like the, we had fires, floods, and you know oil crashing prices all happening at the same time. So all of the externalities of their world used to go up and down in massive you know, heart attack inducing type situations. So they took that, you know, that spirit and jumped over into the cannabis sector where it has been just <laughs> the same in terms of ups and downs. And that's the indomitable spirit, the resilience and the kind of mentality um, that not only that these uh, people have, but it's the ethos of my company. And and we we my clients are all very smart people and they wear their engineering pinky ring with pride. They know how to build things. They know how to design things. They know how to do accounting and and you know regulatory challenges and working with regulators to find problems and solutions and working to fit to, to make the planet and people's health still of forefront importance with the products and services that they're selling. So that's what this is about. We're, they're just as interested in greening the planet, even though the greater world maybe didn't think that. Right. Um, I was sitting at their boardroom tables because they're trying to figure out how not to, you know, make things, you know, worse for the climate than they already were as an oil and gas company. Now they're coming in to the green world of cannabis and they've got a great mentality and great success already um, setting up their companies. So it's, uh, it's only good things from here. Well, it's a, it was a perfect storm, unfortunately, that uh, pushed a lot of people out of the oil and gas uh, field. And, and hopefully it's a perfect storm uh, in a good way, getting into the cannabis, using that knowledge, as we just mentioned. But the one thing that you mentioned is, is working with regulators. Well, that's the cannabis industry uh, in a nutshell. I mean, you know, almost everybody in this cannabis industry has to follow some sort of uh, regulations. And, and, and if you have prior experience that, it, it gives you a, a leg up, at least on you know, how to deal with people. Yeah. And you know what? This, the thing that I learned from them being sort of, a, I would say, almost like a middleman in that sense, because we were creating a product to help them manage the regulatory burden that was on them. Um, you know what? Like one of the best expressions that I think really encompasses it is, you know, let's come together for for a solution. Like they they stop thinking about the regulator as the enemy, and they right. started thinking about them. How are we going to work together? And that's the mentality that worked in the oil and gas business, and that it's working for people right now in the cannabis sector. If they work with the regulator who are learning this as well, uh, the provincial governments didn't know anything more about cannabis than the people that were in the industry in front of them. Um, so they're all in it together and they're learning as they go. And the good thing is they're adaptable and doing it provincially has allowed them to be adaptable and it will continue to be adaptable. And that's a good thing. So sometimes regulation is a really scary thing, 
but like because we made cannabis legal federally in Canada, mm -hmm. there's a framework in which to change the laws. You yeah. know, so that's cool. A hundred percent. Malka, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was great to see you and hear you on this edition of the Cannabis 101 podcast as we move forward on our new uh, split day format as well. So lots of new stuff coming out of this and there's always something new coming out of the cannabis industry. Thank you so much once again for joining me. Have a great rest of your holiday Monday. Thanks, Dean. Enjoy your day as well.